Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, February 13th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Democrats are calling on the Attorney General of the United States to testify before Congress. Warren Buffett's right-hand man shares his downbeat view of the future, and Europe's largest telecoms conference has canceled this year's event over coronavirus fears. Plus, the FT's Kadam Schubert explains how chipmaker Qualcomm became the central focus in a tussle between U.S. regulators. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Late last year, Donald Trump's longtime friend, Roger Stone, was found guilty of lying to Congress. During the trial, prosecutors said Mr. Stone had lied to the U.S. House of Representatives Intelligence Committee about his contact with WikiLeaks during the 2016 presidential election campaign. But earlier this week, the fate of Roger Stone took another turn, just before his sentencing hearing scheduled for next week. The FT's U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel, has more. Well, essentially, like any other criminal case that happens where the Justice Department prosecutors take a case to trial and and win a verdict, the judge has ruled and the prosecutors have asked, as they normally do, for a sentence of what the sentencing guidelines call, which was at this case was up to nine years. Suddenly out of the blue, something changed, which was the president of the United States decided to get on Twitter, as he often does, and said this was outrageous, that if you look at what Stone was found guilty of, he is not worthy of nine years. Then suddenly, again, seemingly out of the blue, the Justice Department changes its sentence recommendation, which is very rare, and all four prosecutors who had prosecuted the Stone case resigned. So it was going very normally until very recently when the whole thing went haywire, as tends to happen with the Trump administration. And Peter, what happened on Wednesday? Well, both Democrats and Republicans, to be honest with you, have suddenly said the politicization of the Justice Department by the president is something they're worried about. Democrats and Republicans are getting worried that he has abused his power. We have the House Democrats, same people that we'll know well from the impeachment process, Jerry Nadler, who is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, who is calling Barr, Bill Barr, the attorney general, to testify before the House. He has refused to testify in any of the Ukraine cases, but he apparently now has agreed to testify. End of March, he will come before Capitol Hill to testify on this case, the Roger Stone case, but also opens a can of fish here. The House Judiciary Committee has said they also want to revisit some of these Ukraine issues. So suddenly, from the embers and the coals of a fire that had burned out on impeachment comes yet another flame that seems to engulf the White House as Trump yet again can't seem to figure out that there are certain things the president's not supposed to do, and it's considered abuse of power if you do it. Now, as Peter just mentioned, things are complicated at the Department of Justice right now, and it's not just in criminal cases. Take Qualcomm, for instance. A quick refresher here, Qualcomm is probably best known for making the chips found in iPhones. And in 2017, the Federal Trade Commission accused the company of violating hundreds of antitrust laws. Then, late last year, a federal judge ruled on the case in favor of the FTC. And when the ruling came down, it was a pretty significant blow to the U.S. chip maker. That's the FT's Kadam Schuber. Judge Lucy Coe really strongly criticized Qualcomm sales practices and said that it had basically strangled competition in the sort of smartphone space. Now, here's where the DOJ comes in. Before Judge Coe issued her opinion, the Justice Department tried to intervene, urging the judge to impose less severe sanctions on the company. Today, the FTC and DOJ will argue opposite sides of the Qualcomm case in court. Kadam has more. So there's a number of things about this case which are unusual. 
first off, this case was brought in January 2017, just a couple of days before Donald Trump became president. You have a antitrust division at the Department of Justice that is very skeptical about antitrust cases involving questions about patents and the licensing of patents. Macon Delrahim, who heads up the antitrust division and is recused from this case because he's a former Qualcomm lobbyist, he has a view that if you own patents under the antitrust laws, you should be able to license them and charge whatever you want. And it's not really the business of antitrust enforcers to bring cases and tell you what to do with your patents. The other important aspect of this is the Department of Justice and a couple of other arms of the U.S. government. The intervention in this case comes partly down to national security. The U.S. is very concerned about China's lead in technologies, including 5G, its efforts to build up a chip industry. And so increasingly, you're seeing U.S. officials talk about Qualcomm as a sort of national champion. And in this case, the antitrust division is saying the court should not be imposing harsh sanctions on Qualcomm because you know we need Qualcomm to be a powerful competitor to develop technologies of the future. And that's quite a remarkable argument for an antitrust enforcement agency to make in the U.S. The bipartisan consensus for a number of decades now has been that these kinds of concerns about national champions or about having strong U.S. companies shouldn't really come into questions about antitrust enforcement, where the important thing is preserving competition and not preserving companies. Kadam, is there anything that we can expect coming out of this? Is there going to be more headbutting? Do we have a sense of how this might unfold? After we have the oral arguments on Thursday, we'll then await the decision of the appeals court. However, the appeals court rules, it's possible that we see a appeal to the Supreme Court. In terms of the broader relationship between the FTC and the DOJ, that has been a problem in the Trump administration. And you see that additionally with the investigations of big tech companies like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Google. The FTC and the DOJ are both conducting their own broad reviews of the technology sector and possible antitrust issues there. And lawmakers have criticized them, saying that their work is overlapping. So I think we're going to continue to see instances where there's tension and there's friction between these two agencies and continuing criticism of the overlap. It is worth emphasizing how unusual this situation is. The DOJ and FTC have long had a process for divvying up work. It's called a clearance process where they both agree you know, who's going to do an investigation of a particular matter. I haven't been able to find, and no one I've really spoken to has been able to find, a situation where either the DOJ or the FTC has interfered in the other uh, other agency's litigation like it has before. So it's quite a remarkable move for the DOJ to come in on a case that the FTC is litigating and tell the judge and tell the appeals court, basically, this case is not worth bringing and you should chuck it out effectively. And here are the rest of today's headlines. Yesterday, investors packed into a conference room next to a Los Angeles cathedral to hear Charlie Munger talk about the future of news. Mr. Munger is the vice president of Berkshire Hathaway, and he's also the chairman of The Daily Journal, a California legal news provider. The 96-year-old is the right-hand man of Warren Buffett and spoke about his view of the future of the news industry, among other things. His outlook was not good. Here he is talking to FT reporter Eric Platt about newspapers. They arose to power by accident, and they're <laughs> departing by accident. <laughs> Just capitalism. In late January, 
Berkshire Hathaway agreed to sell its collection of 30 local daily newspapers to news provider Lee Enterprises for $140 million in cash. It was a rare example of Mr. Munger and Mr. Buffett selling one of their businesses. Yesterday, Mr. Munger explained the move, saying technological change is destroying American papers. Something fills some voids in some way. And sure, to the extent that newspapers die, that leaves some eyeballs to be picked up by others. And all this growth of the internet and growth of the artificial intelligence growth, of course the world is changing rapidly. And old titans of industry are falling one after another. And the Mobile World Congress is the latest event to succumb to fears related to the coronavirus outbreak. Europe's largest telecoms conference was canceled after companies such as Nokia, Amazon, and Vodafone decided not to go. It was slated for the end of the month. Many attendees are usually from Asia, with groups such as Huawei among the largest exhibitors. The economic ripple effect from the spread of the virus, which has been named COVID-19, is continuing. China's top energy executives say the country's oil consumption will plunge 25% this month on fears the outbreak will freeze travel and shut down industrial activity. And yesterday, the euro dropped to its weakest level since 2017 against the dollar as investors put their money into the U.S. currency as a haven. On Thursday, Hubei province, the center of the outbreak, reported 242 new deaths. That takes the number of deaths in the province to more than 1,300. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Culture Call, the Financial Times' transatlantic culture podcast, is back for season two. Join us, that's me, Griselle Damari-Brown, in London. And me, Lila Raptopoulos, in New York. We'll be getting together to interview the people breaking new ground in culture. We're also making sense of the trends shaping life in the 2020s. And we'll bring you behind the scenes of the FT's award-winning life and arts journalism. In our first episode, we chat to Marriage Story's Noah Baumbach. So hit that subscribe button and let's discuss our way through the most exciting cultural moments of 2020 together.